0: the judge is gonna look at what the industry standard is. That's gonna be a determining factor in any litigation. If you're in excess of what, quote unquote, an industry standard would be, they're gonna deem that as predatory lending.
1: Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I wanna mention Trevor McGregor. Trevor is a real estate results coach. I've been paying him and working with him for years now. He actually is responsible for giving me the idea to do a podcast. So it's not only about transactions that he gives advice on how to find more deals, how to make more money, but also how to build a holistic plan around your real estate entrepreneurship endeavors. That's what I love about working with Trevor, that and being held accountable for what I say I'm going to do and actually making sure that I follow through and do it. I feel like I'm a pretty results-oriented, accountable kind of person. But it's always nice to have someone who's there guiding you along the way and giving you strategy as well as psychology tips for how to deal with the things that come up as a real estate entrepreneur. Trevor has made a wonderful offer for the Best Ever listeners, and that is that he's offering a free coaching session. Go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-W-I-T-H-T-R-E-V-O-R.com. Highly recommend him. I've worked with him before. I'm currently working with him right now as my business, as my real estate investing coach. Highly recommend you do the same. Take him up on his offer. Get a free coaching session. Coachwithtrevor.com Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and this is a show where we cut out all that fluffy stuff. We don't get into it. We talk only about the real estate insights that move your business forward. We've spoken to... J-Pop is on, the author of The One Thing with Gary Keller, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, you know who Robert Kiyosaki is, Barbara Corcoran, one of the stars on Shark Tank, and many other Best Ever Guests. And today, we're going to be speaking with Jamie Seton. How are you doing, Jamie?
0: I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show and a little bit about Jamie, and then she'll get into it in more detail. She began her career in 2000 as a property manager based in Auburn, California. And then in 2002, she got her appraiser's license and serviced Northern California for seven years. Since 2009, she's been a hard money consultant. Not a hard money lender, but a hard money consultant. And She'll talk about that. Where she advises investors, brokers, and borrowers. You can say hi to her at dcuprivatemoney.com. That's dcuprivatemoney.com, or you can just click the link in the show notes. That's a lot easier. With that being said, Jamie, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
0: Absolutely. Thank you. As you stated, I'm a consultant for hard money brokers, lenders, and borrowers. And how that happened is I was working as a hard money processor in about 2010, And my father and a group of investors that he worked with, um, all in their 80s, they believed in a broker that misrepresented information, and together they lost almost a million dollars. And that was a changing point in my career and my life, meeting with these investors that would never be able to remake the money that they had lost because they put the faith in someone. And right after that, I left my job and I created... DCU, which helps to educate brokers on compliance and regulations in which they should follow, borrowers on how to look through what a broker represents to make sure that it's not an issue of predatory lending, and lenders to review the investment offering to make sure that the most forward information is being presented to secure their investment.
1: Will you repeat the lender's part? I'm taking notes. I was trying to type as fast as possible. <laughs> not a problem.
0: <laughs> Basically, we it's diligence, if you will, go through the presentation or the offering to the lender to make sure that there is not anything that has been missed, to make sure it's comfortable and as providing investment as it can be.
1: I'd like to talk about the story on the broker misrepresenting the information, and then we'll get into... Each of these three, because I know there's a lot to talk about within each of these three categories, brokers, borrowers, lenders. What was the information that was misrepresented that cost your... Was it your father and, and his friends up to a million bucks?
0: It was. My father loves because I used him as my example for the past six, seven years. He thinks.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor salt and wound, right?
0: Right. It was my father and it was some investors uh, that he did not have a relationship with them. Basically, the mortgage broker at the moment comprised a loan where the loan amount was around a million dollars. She put 10 people in that loan. All 10 people were married, so there was 20 people together in the loan she stated that permits had been obtained for the development of a property which they had not she used an appraisal from an appraiser that she had a relationship with that completely inflated the repair value it was nowhere close to what that property could actually heed because all of these investors had a relationship with her and had a positive return record as of that moment They didn't question the information that was being presented. They accepted what she provided them and decided to do the transaction. Well, the county in which the transaction was done, it's very hard to obtain permits. It's very hard to have plans approved, especially to the scale that this borrower was trying to achieve. So that transaction went into foreclosure. When they went to regain their loss, they were stuck with nothing. It was a piece of land that you couldn't build on. And they lost on that big time. And it was really sad meeting with people in their 80s with tears in their eyes, stating how that was money to go to their grandkids or to go to their children for their college or just money that had a purpose and a place. And a lot of these people, this wasn't that long ago, six years ago, they passed before even receiving a payment on that loan. It was just, it was heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, that's disgusting. It is. The the permits that had been allegedly a- obtained were it was stated they that they were, but then there was no paper trail or was there a fraudulent paper trail?
0: There was no paper trail at all. Uh, okay. She never pres- provided the information.
1: And then the appraisal overinflated the what numbers?
0: Oh, the after-repair value or after-completion value. Okay. So there is the vacant land, which had a very accurate value, and then there was the proposed project that was stated to have the approved plans, which were not. And based off of that project, there is a value. But the appraiser went to neighborhoods that had a much superior market appeal and desirability and used those to assess the value. So it was overvalued by about 300000
1: What are the repercussions that can take place or what what are what are what are the yeah repercussions that can take place against the the mortgage broker in this case
0: The mortgage broker ended up losing her license but that's it she took advantage of a lot of investors who trusted her and this wasn't the only investment project that received a loss and she lost her license and that was it no lawsuit Even in the event of a lawsuit, I don't know how far it would go. She also filed bankruptcy, and then she disappeared, literally (laughs) disappeared. Nobody knows where she is.
1: Well, uh, maybe there's a – hap. well, I don't know about that. (laughs) I don't want to wish harm on anybody, so never mind. I won't go there. Uh, All right, so let's talk about each of these three, brokers, borrowers, and lenders, and the education and consulting you give them – to make sure a transaction like this doesn't happen on either one of these ends. So with brokers, regulations they should follow, what regulations should all hard money brokers follow?
0: Well it's hard to just give an answer to that because it depends on the type of transaction and the duration of transaction and the experience of the borrower. But one of the main things with hard money lending is there's a fine line between a business purpose transaction and a consumer lending transaction. Business purpose transaction The opposite of a consumer lending, which means that it's not a transaction in which the loan funds are used for personal benefit or personal use. The documentation and the review that is required to confirm the nature of the transaction so that you have all of the exemptions under RESPA, truth and lending, all of that fun stuff are detrimental to any broker's transactions so that they can confirm, you know, during an audit, they're not going to get fined or during any type of litigation. They're not going to be sitting in front of a judge and the judge saying, hey, why would you do this? This doesn't make sense. So it basically has to do with the underwriting of the transaction from the information presented by the borrower to confirm that they have the accurate exemptions.
1: And what about the borrowers? What, when, when a borrower comes to you and says, hey, I'd like some help to make sure I'm, I'm following the right process and things are on the up and up, what do you do with them as far as, you know, uh, you you'd mentioned the issue of predatory lending?
0: It depends on, again, everything is subjective. So it depends on the borrower's needs. There are different borrowers that come into need of hard money lending because they're looking to have all of their transaction financed. Those borrowers aren't usually basing their need of money on what their profit will be on a completed project. What I do is they get a proposal from a lender or from a broker. I review it with them because it's amazing. Some lenders will charge 15% interest rate. In California, Northern California, there is such a demand and need for borrowers because there's a lot more people out there wanting to put forth money and invest money that that's just a ludicrous rate. It's unneeded. So I go through the proposal provided to the borrower from a broker and make sure it's not nothing that is in excess of what the industry standard would
1: be. And what's the industry standard right now?
0: Again, subjectivity.
1: How about this? (laughs) Since there's so many subjectivities, how about we just go through one scenario? Okay. That way we're specific. Okay. So you can pick.
0: (laughs) So. Um, a, a typical scenario, seventy percent purchase of a fix and flip property right now, I want to say Sacramento because I'm about an hour east of Sacramento. A borrower that has the experience and a portfolio showing that they have fixed and flipped properties and confirming the objective that they're presenting, which is to purchase and rehab a property and then resell it. A borrower such as that at a seventy percent LTV. It's very easy to obtain 10% financing on that. Um, brokers will sometimes come through, want to charge 13% and five points. That, to me, is predatory lending because it's in excess of what the industry standard is.
1: With the excess of what industry standard is, I guess the, that term predatory lending like stands out to me like, a, like red flag, alarm bells. But at the same time, I think also just of capitalism where, you know, you charge whatever the market can demand. So if somebody does pay that, then there's, you know, a, a service that they're offering that is, you know, they'll take them up on it and it makes sense. Uh, is there is there a way to reconcile that or is it just in, in your mind, hey, if it's above this percent of what the others are doing, then it's predatory lending?
0: That's why I use the term industry standard because per the California state statute there is not a cap on what a broker or an investor can charge for a hard money transaction there's not a cap on the points they can charge the interest interest rate they can charge the default rate or the fees what is going to happen in the event of a litigation whether that's through foreclosure or it's through any other event is in standing in front of a judge the judge is going to look at what the industry standard is. And that's why I use that term so regularly is because that's going to be a determining factor in any litigation industry standard. So if you're in excess of what, quote unquote, an industry standard would be, they're going to deem that as predatory lending. Okay. So yeah, a lot of what I do is it's preparing for the worst case. I, I tell everyone I crush dreams because I tell people what they need to be concerned with. Right now, doing a transaction... That's when things are the most light and the most uh, welcomed. It's in the event of a loss on the value of the property, on the resale, or when people stop making payments. That's when the situations normally arise. So what my job is now is to properly prepare my client for the worst case scenario in the future.
1: And what about lenders and the due diligence on the offering? What are the things you look for?
0: This isn't always, but I found it very common that a broker has the objective to make the transaction because they want to receive a certain commission. Their level of diligence may or may not be that extensive. The borrower needs the transaction or needs the money, so they will present information that may or may not be accurate. So on behalf of the lender, we really dig through what is being provided and review everything. For example, a borrower says, I've done these 10 flips. What we'll do is we'll pull up the property records on those 10 properties to make sure that their name was actually an owner on that property, that they actually had ownership, they purchased it, they flipped it, see what the purchase price is, see when they purchased it, see what the resale value was, see when they resold it to see if there's a notice of default or any type of foreclosure on that property. We just dig through the provided information to see if there's any discrepancies.
1: How do you charge?
0: (laughs) Again, it depends. (laughs) So my charge is based on the need of the client. Some clients call me and say, you know what, Jamie, I, I did everything that can be done. Just give me some documents on this. Help me properly collateralize the transaction by doing your note, your deed of trust, and everything else. And then from there, the price would be reflective of that. Other people, which is common as salespeople, salespeople are great with marketing. They're great with making relationships, but I haven't found them to be that good with paperwork. So I will be a paper pusher, if you will, and take care of all of the research and the diligence and the documentation for a transaction. So everything depends on the needs of the client.
1: If somebody is uh, looking to borrow and they have quotes from different brokers or lenders and they have, you know, five different PDF quotes and they want you to take a look at it, what would that cost?
0: I take money out of my pocket every single day. I actually wouldn't charge someone for that as, as horrible or silly as that may say. Reason being is I want the hard money lending industry to stay alive and I don't want people to be taken granted for because I saw what, ha- what that does firsthand. If someone has, whether it's a broker, lender, borrower, has any type of transaction in which there is an interest and they want me to just take a quick review of it, I am so experienced in looking at the documentation that I can tear apart any document, PDF, Word document, in the matter of minutes and see where the areas of concern are or where there are no areas of concern. It's really easy for me. And and I don't mean that in an egotistical way, but I've been looking at paperwork and documents for over 16 years now. I know how to sort through it. So something like that, like I said, is so easy for me that I cannot find the justification to charge for it
1: with those different quotes, what's a common red flag that you've come across?
0: A common red flag that I come across is one stating that they are obtaining the financing for business purpose such as fix and flip, but they're using all of the money that they have in their savings account to buy the property and they've never owned another piece of real estate. Normally that's a red flag that that's an owner-occupied property and they have been coached to lie about their use of the loan funds and what they're gonna do with the property to get the loan.
1: Mm, got it. So they're they're using their own money to put in to some of the the property. They need a, a loan to get the rest of the money, and they're gonna actually live in it versus flip it.
0: Right. It's common for someone to first go to a conventional lender, and a conventional lender can't provide the financing because, say, it's someone who's self employed and they have had a loss in their income over one year over the other. They don't have two years of steady income, or they haven't filed their taxes, or they just moved and started a new job. For whatever reason, they would be denied institutional financing. The institutional lender knows, hey, I can get a hard money loan, but they can't note that property as a primary residence because all of the regulations and proceedings for that loan changes. So what we're going to do is we're going to say it's non-owner occupied and they submit it to the broker. Well, again, if someone has 80000 in their savings and they're using 79000 to buy a home and they've never owned a home before and they're not in the business of fixing and flipping, more than likely, you have an owner-occupied property there.
1: Jamie, what's your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: No, um, know your investment. And what it, it sounds so silly. It really does. But I'm um, using my father again as an example. Had he done his diligence to confirm that the permits were in place, he would know that he was – being presented false information. Um, I have other investors that do loans with borrowers that fix and flip properties, but their portfolio gets so versed. They have so many properties, they can't manage it. And then they end up losing properties and having to foreclose. Knowing your investment, what you're getting into and not taking anything for face value, actually taking it upon yourself to do your own research and diligence will save someone every single time. It's when you don't do your diligence, don't look at the property or take someone else's opinion for whatever it's worth and base your decision off of that that I always see someone losing.
1: Do you work with clients throughout the US?
0: Not throughout the US. I work with clients in Texas, Georgia, Pennsylvania, California, and Nevada. Reason being is because I need to be up on the regulations and laws and ordinances to be able to properly advise anyone.
1: Out of those states, are there any that are more lender or borrower friendly?
0: Georgia is very borrower and lender friendly. It's um, a non-broker state, which means that somebody that is a lawyer or a title company can do a transaction and close a transaction. It doesn't have to be closed with someone licensed through the Department of Business Oversight or the Bureau of Real Estate. So it's a lot more... Um, compatible to a transaction or to an individual doing a transaction
1: you ready for the best ever lightning round I'm ready all right first a quick word from our best ever partners Are you looking to buy in Memphis, Tennessee, or do you need some property management help in Memphis, Tennessee? Well, then go talk to Douglas Skipworth. Episode number 455 is when I spoke to him. He's got a company called Crestcore, and they specialize in real estate and property management in Memphis. Go to Crestcore.com. That's C-R-E-S-T-C-O-R-E.com. Best ever deal you've done?
0: Helping out early people. If you want me to elaborate on that, a gentleman that could not get any type of financing and I actually found um, he was about to lose his property. He had a reverse mortgage. He was losing everything. I found a lender that was able to help him and help him to save his home. This was a primary um, residence and it was about 10, 15 years ago, but it saved this 86 year old man's
1: home. Best ever book you've read?
0: Four Agreements.
1: Who wrote that?
0: Don Miguel Ruiz.
1: Don Miguel Ruiz. Okay, the four agreements. All right. What What was one takeaway you had from that book?
0: Um, to not judge. You, you don't know. To not judge is not carry incidents with you. You don't know what happened in the other person's day. What's going through their mind. What someone says or does is more of a reflection of them and not you. And you shouldn't internalize that and make a judgment based off of that. It's just a a really great method to be free and have personal freedom.
1: Oh, yeah. Sign me up for that philosophy. I will read that book. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. It's it's, it's 99.9% of the time it's about what's going on in their life because... We're all kind of inwardly focused with how we internalize things and process things. And, and really, it's not necessarily what we're not giving somebody. It's kind of what's, what's going on and, and what, what's on their mind and how they're approaching their day and the situation.
0: Exactly. It's a really easy read, too. It's a book I actually always have in my office. I just ran to pick up who the author was because I didn't remember. But it's a great book
1: best ever personal growth experience and what you learn from it?
0: This was actually one I just had with uh, Tom Poole. He was um, the head of the Bureau of Real Estate and he retired and I was at his retirement lunch and he stated this and it was something that he was told and he's lived his career by and it just it hit home. He said everything you do counts whether it is sending an email or whether it is giving a homeless man lunch everything you do counts because there's someone on that receiving end or there's someone that that is going to come across
1: oh i like that yeah no no small actions
0: Yeah, everything you do counts awesome Awesome.
1: what's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate or business so far
0: a client one of my first clients that i had is Going back six years ago in the hard money lending, I went to wire his 700000 and I missed the numbers, mixed them up, and I wired them <laughs> to the wrong account.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to someone. Yes,
0: we did get the money back. It did take a week, and it, um, yeah, that was my biggest
1: mistake. <laughs> <laughs> After you realized that you did that, what was your immediate next step?
0: I had, I, honestly, I had to contact everyone and that's um, from Tom Poole. That was one of the other things that I picked up from him. and I had already established is we're all going to make mistakes. We're all human. But the person making the mistake or affected by the mistake that I made, such as my client in this instance, I should be the first one to tell him, not an escrow or not the bank. So if I ever am to make a mistake, I need to own up to it right away and tell the people that are affected. So my first response in that situation is I told the broker at the time I was working for, oopsie, I think I did this wrong, and of course apologized to the lender. I still work with that lender, but it did take three years for me to reach (laughs) confidence in
1: me. And what's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you?
0: My cell phone would probably be the best, and that's 707-495-1038.
1: Well, Jamie, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and your expertise in the hard money industry as a hard money consultant. You gave us a lot of really good information. Uh, The story that started your trek into this industry as a consultant with your father and his friends or his father and uh, the others that he was in with. I think you said he didn't know them. Um, And then the the three different groups you represent from brokers, borrowers, and, and lenders. Um, and then the lear- the learnings and the lessons that you have and the things you look for for each of those individuals or, or groups. So thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your advice with best ever listeners, and hope you have the best ever day.
0: Thank you. You too.
1: Did you achieve all your real estate goals in 2015? Well, if you did, congratulations. Fist bump to you. If you didn't, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. Trevor McGregor is my business coach, my real estate coach. He's also been a guest on the show, episode 320. He is offering a free coaching session for the best ever listeners. Just go to coachwithtrevor.com and it'll help you to achieve your real estate goals in 2016.